0: This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that wishes you a very, very Merry Christmas. But it's not quite Christmas yet, and so we are here, as you would expect, with a regular Motley Fool Money episode. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, the doctor is in the house, Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, mate. How are you? G'day, mate. Great. And Merry Christmas to our listeners as well. Absolutely. Now, I should um, lift the curtain a little bit, pull back the curtain slightly, and, and declare that we're not exactly recording this the day it's going to go. Onto the, uh, what, what do we call them? What, what's the, what is it? Is it a feed? Podcast feed? I think what we call it.
2: Podcast feed, yeah. All Onto right. the ether.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Probably where it belongs. We, we are we are putting this up onto the podcast feed. Hopefully, you're listening to this on or around the 20th of December. In which case, Christmas is only a few days away. We hope you've been nice. We hope you haven't been naughty, and we hope the jolly fat man is good to you and yours. Uh, Doc, you're actually in Canada as we do this, spending time with family. So um, we are we are pre-recording this this little podcast. But the good news is, we have plenty of mailbag to get through. Should we get going? Let's do it. Love Beautiful. the mailbag. Let's get on with it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, the first question is from James. Hi, Scott and Doc. Now, he doesn't start with a positive. But he finishes with a positive, so it's okay. Don't oh, don't worry too much. Okay, we will okay. we will answer his question. He says hi, Scott and Doc, and this is an interesting one about ETFs, mate. Just had a quick question about PE ratios—that's price earnings ratios—for ETFs. How's that? A couple of acronyms in the first sentence. I hold the BetaShares Global Cyber Security ETF with the ASX code of HACK, which I love, and it has a relatively low PE ratio of at eight point three six. Not sure we should say about when you go into three decimal points, James, but we'll go (laughs) into two decimal points. Very precise. 8.36. Is this calculator based on the weighted average of the underlying assets or is it an independent value? Love your work, James. James, that's an awesome question, mate. Thank you for sending it through. It's an awesome question for two reasons. The first is, I don't know the answer. The second is, I get to ask Doc and hope he knows the answer. So, Doc, before we do, I'm going to make you define our terms. We hopefully have some, some new listeners pre-Christmas. So, what exactly is a P-E ratio?
2: Okay, so P-E ratio, that part, I do know what it is. <laughs> good. So P-E, uh, the P stands for price. Okay, the good. price of the security.
1: That should be straightforward. Uh,
2: and E is the earnings of the security in earnings per share. Right. So price per share divided by earnings per share tells you how many times for each share's earnings are you paying.
1: Right. I'm going to break this down a little bit further, mate. So when we say earnings, that's kind of a, a, a wanky finance term for profits. Yeah. And when we say earnings per share, let's break that down. So if I've got a company and my company earns a hundred bucks in profit mm-hmm. and there's a hundred shares of that company, then the profit per share or earnings per share is one dollar. So when yep. we say earnings per share, all we're doing is saying, How much money did the company earn in profit? How many ways do I have to divvy it up? And I get back to a buck. So we've got a dollar in earnings per share. Now the price per share, as you say, is relatively straightforward, but I'm gonna make you a little harder here. Do a little bit more work. It's almost Christmas, but you know you're on holidays. Do some work for me. The price per share. We're used to talking about Wooly shares being forty dollars a share, but that itself is a kind of it's a, it's a it's a what do they call it? What's the what's the word in maths when it's the result of something? The quotient? Do we call it that? I think we do. It's it's an, anyway the end result. So the price per share is interesting. We all kind of take it as the main topic, but really it's the result of a different calculation in itself, right? So what exactly or how do we get to the price per share?
0: Yeah,
2: so the price per share is really how you know is, is is essentially investors deciding how much do they want to pay for the earnings, right, that, or the profits of the company,
1: right? And that's the and when we say price per share. It's actually derived from the value of the total company, yeah. and also the number of shares on issue. So when Woolies we say it's forty dollars a share, the reality is that Woolies is not just worth forty dollars a share. I mean, it is in terms of its breakdown, but if you're going to buy the whole company. You can't pay forty bucks, right? You've got to do the maths and say, right. Well, Woolworths as a business might be worth forty bucks a share, and we can assume that. But it's actually a forty-eight billion dollar company. Yeah. And so they take the value of the whole business, or the market price of the whole business, if you like, and then we'll divide it by the number of shares again, as we said before, yeah. to get to the price per share. Yeah. All right. So we've done the PE ratio, and and higher is generally speaking worse, or at least less. Uh, less of a bargain. You're paying more. You know, if you're buying a news agent, and that news agent making hundred dollars a year in profit, if you paid a thousand dollars for that for that news agent, you say, okay, well, I've paid a $1, thousand bucks, hundred bucks a year in profit. I can kind of work that out. If you've got to pay a million dollars for that news agent earning a hundred bucks, either you're overpaying massively, or you're expecting this higher future profit at some point in the next dozen or so years, right?
2: No, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So generally cheap, you know, uh, cheaper. The Lower P.E. is better yep. than higher P.E. Yep. Of course, there is a factor of you know, relative growth. You'd pay a little right. bit more for higher growth because effectively, you know, in next year's P.E. is going to look smaller uh, because of growth. So, But but yeah, but I mean, in the ballpark, you want to pay low.
1: And you'd rather pay a higher P.E. for a quality company rather than lower P.E. for a crap company, right? That,
2: that is correct, yes. All so right. you, you want to pay... You want to pay up for quality and you usually get uh, you know, not so nice companies at a bargain.
1: <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you on the defining our terms uh, bandwagon, largely inspired by David Gardner, our co-founder, who you're a particularly massive fan of, and I'm certainly a fan of as well. ETF, we kinda of bandy yeah. it around. It it kind of gets lumped in with the concept of an index fund, but it's not necessarily that, right? An index no. fund is a fund that tracks a particular index. An ETF an exchange traded fund can be any fund just happens to be listed on a market. So an ETF and index fund aren't always the same thing. There are index funds that are ETFs. We talked about that a little bit last week with the Vanguard ETFs that literally do track indices. What is an ETF, though, in in plainest terms, mate?
2: Yeah, so ETF is basically, as you said, an exchange-traded fund. What basically that means is it's a way for people to get access to a basket of shares, right? And uh, in this particular example, like he talks about Hack, for example. So Hack follows a particular uh, index or or let's call it um, an index that has been designed by someone that says, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to have these companies or these types of companies with these rules and in this proportion and we're going to buy those companies in our fund and effectively when you're buying a unit of that fund, you're getting mm-hmm. proportional access you're basically buying, you're buying essentially one of the sh- one unit of that share, which gives you proportional access to what the unit effectively holds. Right, right. Right. So, um, you know, it, it could mean that, a, a very simplistic example could be that I could have an ETF which has 10 companies, mm-hmm. effectively, and I could have, you know, I could have them equal weight, mm-hmm. or I could decide that, you know... Um, instead of having each of them at, you know, equal weight, I could have 50% of the weight in two of the companies and the remainder equally distributed across the remaining, right? right? And when you buy the ETF, you basically get exposure to that weighting inside that fund.
1: Makes sense. So, all that defined, well done, thank you. Tell me about the Betashare's Global Cybersecurity ETF. Now... I'm gonna. I'm gonna just quickly catch this one up, mate, because I, I don't want to mislead our audience. I'm not saying James necessarily would have otherwise misled the audience. He says there's a relatively low PE of about eight point three six. Now, I have um, in in all of our fantastic amounts of research, I've had the I've had the research team working hard, which means I've just pulled it up on the on the computer uh, and the the beta share's own um, fact sheet. Uh, does suggest, I'm looking for a date here, 31st of October, 2019. So it's a little bit out of date, but it's the most recent one we have at the time of recording. Actually says the PE is 29.96 times, which I don't know about you, Matt, but that's kind of higher than, about, about what I expected. I didn't think it was gonna be as low as eight. So 30 times earnings, it literally can round that up, because it's, oh, sorry, 27 times earnings. Round that up by, by 0.04, I'll call it 27. Um, feels more right than eight times. So it kind of makes me a little bit more comfortable. My understanding is it is the, Uh, Some total uh, weighted average PE of the of its holdings. Is that is that your understanding? Yeah,
2: that's correct. So my understanding with the ETFs PE reporting is that it's basically the weighted average. Effectively, the of the earnings and the sh- earnings per share and the price, which is effectively the P's weighted by um, your effective weight inside the portfolio, right? So you give a ten percent weight yeah. to anything that has a ten percent allocation. You give a five percent weight to you know something that has a five percent allocation.
1: Yeah, it's, effect- it's It's just it's the mathematical result of yeah. an ETF in and of itself.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, so and, and thirty sounds about right for the ETF, given what we know it holds.
1: Okay. Now that's a good point. Thirty times though still feels high to me, being a non-tech, non-cybersecurity investor. Should I pay thirty times earnings for a cybersecurity ETF?
2: Yeah, so I mean, this yeah, that's yeah, that, that's a harder question to answer. <laughs> so here's the thing with with hack. Um, the thing to realize is that men there will be in ETFs. There will be companies which, for example, are early stage companies. There will be companies which are. Late stage companies. So right. this ETF, best to just use an example, would hold something like a Cisco. Now, a Cisco would would be highly profitable, and uh, you know generating a lot of cash, and maybe it's on a P of twenty five. So Cisco
1: Systems one of the one of the kind of oldest, biggest names in computing, largely known for its kind of hardware, computer
2: networking hardware. But right, they do security right. as well because they they build hardware for security, security hardware. They secure the network. Right. Like I'm just so big,
1: up. old, profitable company is kind of your point, right? Yeah.
2: So this might have a P of say twenty or twenty five. Let's, right. let's as an example, we could right. look that up to what the number is while you're on your screen um and then it might hold another company which is not profitable right and therefore Mm -hmm. the pe ratio is going to get impacted by the fact that there's there's one company with 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 a let's say pe of 1000 because it's (laughs) and there's another company of 20 (laughs) um uh, depending on how you weight them the the ratios are going to change and so you know the pe ratio by itself doesn't say Mm -hmm. a lot of things Mm -hmm. Uh, it says something and so, if you're investing in this ETF, then you're basically making the assumption that a) you believe that cybersecurity is important, cybersecurity is going to grow, there is a mm-hmm. lot of cybersecurity growth, and you believe that the underlying companies held in this ETF, at least the larger ones, yeah. are 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 going to be relevant for some time. So you, yeah. So it's this is this is not the same thing as an index ETF. This is more of a yeah. thematic ETF. Uh, Thematic investing.
1: If you're yeah. going to buy this, so if I'm an Australian investor buying the Hack ETF, I'm probably doing a couple of things. Firstly, I'm thinking, well, I may an invest on, on the US market, so this is a way of me getting access to that. Yeah. I also might be thinking, well, I think cybersecurity is a big deal, but I don't really know which company is going to come out on top. And if I can buy an ETF that, as I'm looking at this detail here, there's 43 different companies in this particular ETF. So you don't really have to know whether as you've and let me let me run the, the top five just for fun. So VMware is number one with a six or point five percent weighting. Palo Alto Networks, Broadcom, Cisco, and Okta are the top five. I don't know which one of those is going to necessarily come out on top. Maybe they'll do sensationally well. Maybe VMware tanks and Okta does well, or maybe Cisco does fantastically and and Broadcom goes to zero. Or I mean they're not likely, of course, but I'm, I'm being deliberately, um, you know. Uh, the, the the reality is you don't need to know the answer to that. If you simply have a view that the companies are broadly attractive enough to invest in. You don't necessarily know which one's going to win, but you like the theme, and you maybe don't have access to the U.S. market directly. Buying shares or, or your securities in the hack ETF is a nice way of making that play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way of diversifying your portfolio, and as I said, getting some thematic exposure, which might, you know, getting uh, getting the hack type of exposure, so cybersecurity exposure on the shell market is really hard. Right, there aren't many companies actually. I I don't know of one company that That's a good uh, point, actually. Yeah, uh, I agree. There with aren't you. any companies yeah, actually yeah, on that yeah. particular
1: sector. So that's um now fair to say you don't need to have exposure to every theme, yeah. but if you thought that it was gonna be something worth investing in exactly. and you're investigating it, yeah. there's no way to get it in the ASX without the CTF.
2: Yeah. So this is a good way of getting exposure to a, a an interesting theme. Um
1: yeah.
2: So I think yeah, it's 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 an interesting ETF and yeah, I like it.
1: Nice. I um, I think look the other thing to be a little bit careful of is the in any ETF, and this is not about this one in particular, is just the management fee. So you wanna know roughly what it's trying to do, roughly the sorts of companies it's investing in, and also how much you're being charged for the privilege. Because uh, if you're paying too high a fee, and this is goes with managed funds as well, not just ETFs, but the higher the fee, the lower your return by definition, right? At least relative to what the underlying securities would do. So you wanna have a view in theory, uh, that at least it's a it's a it's a theme worth investing in and hopefully that's an ETF worth investing in if you're going to take that that decision, Doc. Buy, sell, or hold the Hack ETF?
2: Um, yeah, uh, we, like you know, actually, we hold Hack in one of our uh, real money portfolios. Um, yeah, so we, we consider it to be a buy. And yeah, I mean, uh, again, it depends on your context and what else you hold and right. and everything else. Uh, you know, I can't say whether it's a buy for everyone, but it's a buy within our model portfolio at Pro.
1: Nice, and it's returned about seven and a half percent per annum over the past three years. So that's, yeah, a, that's a nice little.
2: Return. Yeah, it's a pretty healthy return.
1: Uh, I should say two for what's worth. This is a, a complete tangent, not not suggesting that it necessarily argues for or against the uh, the buying the shares in the ETF. But I did notice. Did you notice yesterday or this morning uh, the Motley Fool is recruiting for a cybersecurity engineer? So it just kind of goes kind of, reminded me <laughs> that you know we're recruiting somebody specifically to focus on this. Um, just just a reminder of how important cybersecurity is in in the world today, and, and maybe. Again, I don't – I'm not suggesting it, it argues for or against. I certainly you know, – I'm not one for causation or correlation. I wouldn't say, well, because we're, we're recruiting a cybersecurity engineer. You necessarily should buy the buy the shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but certainly just a, just an interesting tidbit on the way through.
0: Ready for the next question? Yeah. Beauty. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Question from Alan. Now, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> Oh, Alan! Alan has a bouquet and a brickbat. Now I'm I'm okay with that. I'm a fan of being even-handed and you know giving credit where it's due, and maybe asking us to um, improve where where necessary. He says a question for your podcast mailbag, but first my bouquets. Positive's good. <laughs> At first, I did not enjoy the style of the podcasts. Gee, Alan, thanks. No, I'm kidding. He <laughs> says not the content. The content is good, but the style, the joking around, but. After listening to your US and Singapore podcasts, I have appreciated yours a whole lot more. Uh, thanks, Alan. I, I won't share this with our US So colleagues. is he saying
2: ours is better than I the think US? That's p- what
1: he's saying. Okay. I'm not sure he loves the joking around, so maybe the joking around I started with probably wasn't very useful. <laughs> I, sh- I should have probably thought about my audience <laughs> first. So apologies, Alan, for the early jokes. He said, when, when Doc first joined, I thought, mm, this is not going to work, but Doc has really blossomed. I enjoy his dry humour. There you go. Oh, I didn't know how to do you I was speaking to a friend only this week who said that, that she absolutely loves you on the podcast, mate. So a bit, of, bit oh, of positive feedback I haven't given right. you yet. I'll give it to you on air live as we talk about this. Cool. Well, thank said, you to your friend. She also saw our photo on, on Instagram and said, you look exactly the way you sound. So I'm not sure what to think of that. I have you. no idea what that means. <laughs> I'm sure she means you. You look, you sound funny and handsome, and that's the way you come across. Oh something. all
2: right. okay. Well, I'll take that as, as, as that. that's. Uh, or, or let's let's just assume that's what she
1: meant. <laughs> and thank you to Katie for listening, by the way. Right, thank you, Katie. <laughs> all right, um, let's move on. He, he says, um, "Enough bouquets. I have a question answered. Yes, definitely enough, Alan. Well done. Is there a website which will tell you when companies are about to announce their earnings?" Doc.
2: All right, so here's, is interesting. There's no one particular website as such, but many brokers yeah. would publish a list of when the earnings, no, they don't do that for every company. Like ComSec, for example, uh, does a really good job of covering some of the bigger companies. Like, you know, probably the SX 300 they would have a list out. Yep. The Here's the other thing. Big companies or typically bigger companies have a tendency to announce, pre-announce the dates. Um, smaller companies don't. Um, because some of them basically are preparing until the last moment, yeah. the, and they release the results at the at uh, the last day.
1: Thank God we done. Let's get it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah yep, yep.
2: Now we have to get it done today, <laughs> and therefore, so a lot of companies actually report on the last reporting day that they're allowed to
1: report. So,
2: so, uh, so that's another way to think of it. If they haven't reported, they're going to report on the last last week and the last day is pretty famous for this. Um, if you look at U.S. companies, then the Nasdaq actually has a calendar that it provides for. I think all companies. Is because I think oh, it's, right. a I it's a Nasdaq. It's the Nasdaq requirement that you list when you announce oh. when you're going to have your quarterly earnings. So Nasdaq has that's, a, actually to, that's
1: it, smart. The ASX should do that as well.
2: Yeah, I, I actually does. You know, given that we only have twice a year, yeah. it's relatively easy for the ASX to enforce that. Guys, yeah. you just need to tell me. Ahead of time, and I'm going to put a, put up a calendar. So I think yeah, Can't be too hard, um, it shouldn't be too hard. So your Nasdaq actually does it, and it actually lists for a, a New York Stock Exchange listed stocks as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So I mean, those are a couple of. Yeah, but yeah, Comsec does it. Some other brokers do it. Um, that's the best I can think of. I, I, mean, I personally look at the Comsec list. Mm-hmm.
1: I um I, I agree with that. I think that's 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 the only decent place I know of. It's, it's it is. So Comstex list is a combination of announced dates and also their kind of expected dates. So you need to take it with a grain of salt. Not because Comstex doesn't do the best job they can just because even they would acknowledge it's not perfect and not designed to be perfect, designed to be indicative only. So be a little bit mindful of that, Alan. Um, yeah, I think I probably... There's a little um, information provider called ListCorp that we use. Um, they don't tell you where the dates are necessarily, but they will email you when a, when a, when a company... Um, asics announcement is released and that, that can be helpful. I'm uh, not going to give you advance notice. so that's I can't answer your question there uh, but you will at least get the announcements to your inbox when they come out. So List Corp is one you might want to have a look at. Um, the other option is uh, it's 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 kind of not very useful um, but you can look at last the last year's earnings from a company um, and normally if you jump on your broker's website normally they'll have a series of announcements. Um, you can get a sense of when they announce. If you look back a couple of years you may find they announce on a reasonably similar schedule most do. And so again these are all super super um, not very useful answers, Alan, in terms of absolutes, but to give you a guide and the best guide we have, um, looking at simply last year's announcements, saying okay, they tend to announce on the third week of August or the second week of February. Um, they can be useful, just just to give you a sense of what to expect and when to expect it. But mate, I share your, I share your, uh, uh, I assume uh, displeasure or at least unhappiness with the fact that sometimes, we, even with those announcements from Listcorp, we can kind of also something pops up in the email, it's like okay, I guess we're talking about that today. Uh, so that can be a bit unfortunate. I, I'm. I, th- I, l- I love the NASDAQ idea, Doc. I didn't know that, but I, l- I like the idea. Maybe we should uh, lobby the ASX to get them to pre announce this kind of stuff. Now, Alan did have a brickbat. Brickbat? Yeah. Man, after all that, I thought he was going to say good things. Now, this is generally a G rated podcast, but uh, we, we are aware that Triple M do uh, do do have some, some uh, PG language in their promo for us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They do say that we're not just. And, and cover your children's ears It's not terrible But you know uh, They say not just two dicks in a Porsche Now mm. That's offensive Well For me it's offensive for one reason For you it's offensive for a different reason Because uh, Clearly you'd rather talk about Teslas and Porsches I assume.
2: Yeah Well who rides a Porsche? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but, it, but, I, but I should say Alan said They shouldn't refer to you As two dicks in, with a Porsche uh, Just to be clear Alan they say we're not Two dicks with a Porsche. I'm not sure that makes you feel better or worse about it. I would um, not have a Porsche. The, the, the idea was supposed to be that we supposed to be the uh, the, the illustration of the illusion of the the people sitting in uh, in high office towers in Sydney or Melbourne CBD uh, with their fancy expensive cars and shiny you know wonderful suits and ties and. All that kind of high finance stuff, where they make a lot of money from uh, bewildering, bamboozling, and confusing people, uh, we try and be the opposite. That's 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 what Triple M are trying to uh, trying to show. I don't think it's super unreasonable, but I do take your point. If you're unhappy about that, uh, my apologies. It's uh, it's just trying to trying to lighten the mood a little bit, and though so we're not uh, that that uh, that illusion they're trying to create. Doc,
2: no, I have nothing to say.
1: <laughs> Let's move on.
2: Let's move on. <laughs>
0: Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au
1: forward slash triple M. Next question comes from Brett, mate. He says, Scott and Doc, been listening for a while now and enjoying everything, but I wanted to know something. Apologies if you have answered this before. Do you invest your own, not the company's, but your own money into Scott, your share advisor recommendations, and Doc, your extreme opportunity stock recommendations each month? Or do you choose and recommend carefully selected stocks for your paid or subscribe members to put their money into, but don't back your own recommendations with your own money? If I choose to join the Fool and follow both of you, which I'm keen to do, it would be nice to know if you are both putting your money where your mouths are. Thanks, guys, Brett. Brett, I love this question, mate, because it's exactly the right question to be asking. You want to know what someone's incentives are where they're going to make their money how aligned they are with their members or subscribers or otherwise it's a question that many more people should ask their financial advisors and financial professionals in general terms um so a couple of ways to answer this question brett the first is that you can go on to our profile so our members i don't think i'm not sure if the links are available generally publicly at least in a public kind of form that the the profiles are public but for the members it is like i'm not sure where the links are yeah. yeah, members can find them. So you're not yet yeah, a member, Brett. Um, and we don't we don't hide that deliberately, just that there is a team holdings page on every service. And that team holdings page lets you click on Doc's profile or my profile or any of the team we work with. Doc works with Kevin on Extreme Opportunities and Kevin and Ryan on Pro. Um, I work with Andrew Leggett, Ed Vesely, and Chris Copley on other services. You can click on that services team holdings page. You can click on my name, and you can see every company I own shares in, uh, as you can with Doc and any the rest of the team. We don't give amounts because we figure... The team are entitled to some privacy, uh, but we absolutely have every company we own, both here and overseas, on our profiles. That's updated in real time when we make portfolio changes. I know from experience, the guys don't make that many portfolio changes, but when we do, um, those are updated automatically, or not automatically, but they're updated manually and instantly on that profile. So uh, our members can see that. Um, I don't know if there's a public page, though, with those profiles. We probably should have one, but I don't think we do.
2: No, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's a bit of a... I mean, I, I wouldn't make it public largely because, I mean, um, yeah, only I think members are entitled to that seeing what we have Oh, hope. it's
1: actually – no, they're all, they're all actually completely fully available on our on our boards page in the US, which is public information. Is it? Yep. So, oh. you can go to – I'll give you a URL if you want to write this down, Brett. Stand by. Boards.fool.com forward slash profile. Forward slash TMF gilla, which is not my social media profile, so it's a little bit different. Apologies for the difference. So boards.fool.com forward slash profile forward slash TMF Giller, G I L L A, forward slash info dot A S P X. Um, that's not supposed to be. That's supposed to be difficult. Just happens to be the way it is. Every every fool in the company has a profile. Uh, my TMF name, my board name is TMF of Gilla. That's why it's under that one. Um, Docs is there as well. TMF go long. Um, so boards. slash profile slash tmf gilla slash info. aspx Nothing makes great radio, mate. Like reading out a URL, does it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's a wonderful radio. In
2: fact, you know what? Here's the thing: you, 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 if you try to type it, yeah. you'd actually have to type it with the capitalization at the appropriate places. Is that right? Otherwise, okay. in fact, I can't even get to my
1: <laughs> What we might do? Oh, so actually, my and my think is actually my Twitter profile. So let me double check that because that's probably the easiest thing to do rather than rather than sending you around the bend. Uh, as you say, as you can tell, we're, we're working this as we go. Yeah, Brett, I can't get too much. While while I do that, uh, and, and I'll try and type and talk at the same time. Which, as those who know will stretch my ability to multitask. Uh, but while we're doing that, while we're trying to do that, um, the, the honest answer, mate, is for me, almost all of my stocks that I own are or have been Motley Fool recommendations. Um, we are not, we're not required to only do that. Um, there are different reasons why we would do things differently. For example, um, so one stock I bought recently is Retail Food Group. I've talked about that I think week before last maybe. It's not a recommendation of ours at ShareAdvisor because frankly, I don't want members to think it's a ShareAdvisor quality recommendation. It was, we sold it. I bought the shares back at about 14 cents. They're down since then. So I've saved our members a fortune so far. Um, hopefully they'll go back up in time. We shall see. Uh, who knows what, what the next uh, well, the next couple of months might bring. It was completely a speculative investment on my behalf. I very, very rarely do that. But there was no way in the world I wanted members to feel like it was a share advisor quality recommendation they should buy in the same way they would buy others of our recommendations. So I simply didn't want to do that. On the other hand, um, there are other recommendations. I simply haven't had the cash when our recommendations come out. I haven't invested my own portfolio along those lines, so I haven't bought those shares. That being said, we are obliged by our trading rules to not trade against a recommendation. If a stock is rated as a hold on share advisor, I cannot buy it and I cannot sell it. If a stock is a buy, I can't sell it. So there are reasons or there are areas where our trading policy, very rightly, precludes us from taking actions against what we're advising our members to do. Um, but yeah, look, so most of my stocks, I think every one of my stocks bar retail food group is or was a recommendation? Ritter for Group was actually, but it wasn't. I didn't buy it when it was a recommendation. Um, I think that's it now, mate. I don't think. I think I used to have a couple of stocks that I'd held. I still have one: um, Gauge Roads Brewing. Uh, which I owned when I used to run Hidden Gems. I bought it when it was a recommendation there. I still own it, even though it's not a recommendation of Hidden Gems or Share Advisor anymore. Um, as it was, again, just to, to really flesh this out, I was off the service before the then-advisor sold it. So that's that's kind of the story with that. Um, we don't oblige our team, any of our team, to own the stocks that we recommend, but we don't let them trade against those recommendations. And as I said, there's reasons why you might have different stocks for different reasons, but... Um, I, I don't think there's a single stock I own that's not a recommendation at the moment of any of the services, but I can imagine, for example, buying a US stock that wasn't a recommendation of ours because I wanted some US exposure or an ETF that gave us that exposure or gave me exposure to something else that maybe wasn't a recommendation. Uh, generally speaking, though, I think it's fair to say we invest along the same lines as what we ask our or suggest our members do, um, but there's no absolute obligation. That's a long monologue from me. Doc, over to you.
2: Yeah, so um, I... I invest a lot internationally, and because I invest a lot internationally, um, I have a lot more international stocks than ASX stocks. Right. Um, I almost all the ASX stocks that I own are actually from EO, or their recommendations in EO. So there are a couple of complications mm-hmm. with that. But one complication to keep in mind is that because of the way you know, if we write about a stock or we talk about a stock, we can't actually buy it for the next few yeah. days. Um, if I bought it, I can't actually write about it for the next few days. So that actually makes That's it harder. Yep. Um, uh, it makes it really hard to buy all of them. Um, then the question of portfolio strategy comes into play, I guess. if you know, depends on what is your portfolio strategy. Do you, um, do you want an all ASX portfolio? Do you mm. want a portfolio that has international exposure? What do you want to do? Um, mm. It comes into play. So I, I think it, it is a harder question to answer um, I own some, but not all, mm. of EOs. I couldn't actually own all of them because I would probably have no money at that time to invest in all of them. Uh, again, remember that we, we provide an idea every month. In some months, we actually have two ideas. Um, that said, I think the best way to think about our services are they have a transparent, very transparent scorecard. So what we do is we would recommend a stock and we would track it post its recommendations Mm -hmm. effectively if so the eo stocks are recommended at midday typically at midday on a wednesday Mm -hmm. Uh, the stock comes out the recommendation comes out at noon Uh, we would wait till the end of the day to actually record the starting price Mm -hmm. Uh, which means effectively the stock went up because of us recommending uh it uh, we would actually see the full-on effect of the price going up because of our recommendation. If we cause to temporarily, uh, for example, blip in the share price, you know, what this is what we call a share price pop. That sometimes happens right. because we recommend smaller companies, um, and then we would take the the index price at the end of that day um, and record that as well. And that's how we track both sides, inclusive of dividends. And 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 sort of the same philosophy applies to effectively every recommendation service that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the best thing to look at is our incentives really are aligned with our scorecards. And we need to, uh, essentially our goal is to have market beating scorecards. And that's what we are we are effectively delivering. And as long as that is being delivered, I think, you know, you, um, you know, I think whether or not the team owns the stock mm-hmm. becomes a secondary uh,
1: issue. In fact, what worries me a little bit, I think that's a really good point. though what worries me a little bit more is people who look at my profile now and it's easy to assume I would potentially buy the stocks right now at the current price. you know and and that may not necessarily be the case. Similarly, uh, assuming the ones I don't own I necessarily don't have conviction in. I, I mean, I, you know, in fact, some of the stocks are done, I, I, I was lucky enough to own. Uh, our largest uh, gainer, at share Advisor, which is corporate travel management, which is ten bagged since the recommendation. Uh, I bought that about fifty percent later, so I, my my gains about six times while the market, while the members are ten times. Um, you know, again, both those returns are nice, but I'd rather have the members' returns than mine. Um, you know, I just bought it later than the members did, and the share price had already moved by that point. I think you know we have had people look at us. Oh, Scott owns doesn't own this therefore, and I think it's a you know look. I, I actually agree, Brett. I, I really, really, honestly get the idea of. Um, you're being mindful of what we buy, what we own. That's absolutely right. And by all means, you know you can follow along exactly with that on our on our profile page. They are public information. Um, we we don't have. I said we don't have links, just because I think we've thought about putting them up. Quite frankly, on the on the public facing page, we do have it on the member pages. Absolutely. Um, so that that's kind of the that, that's kind of the approach we've taken, but not for any not for any good or bad reason. Just be a little bit careful about only buying those stocks. As Doc said, I, I, frankly, my my career, my, my job is worth more to me over the next 25, 30 years uh, than my current portfolio is. And so <laughs> frankly, if I had to choose between one or the other, um, I, I've said before, and I, I hope my wife's not listening to this, um, I actually care more about our, our scorecards of my own portfolio in that sense. I'm far more <laughs> obsessed about the returns of our members than, than my personal returns. I have for large amounts of time, for example, gone uninvested with cash in, in my on my investing account because I haven't got around to it because I'm focused more on, on our members and our services than I am on my own portfolio. So maybe I'm like the plumber with a leaky tap but you are right, mate, to ask about the, the aligned incentives. Um, and I think that's, that's a very, very valid question, very valid concern. So hopefully that addresses that.
2: Um, there's, I'll, I'll add quickly actually one thing that's just to follow-up on your uh, comment. So w- uh, one of the things that I actually caution people is to not, for example, look at my portfolio and yep. then look at the EO stocks I own and think those are the best ones to right. own.
1: Yeah, exactly. That exactly. is
2: really… <laughs> My own ability to actually pick and choose from my own stocks <laughs> may not be a great indicator right. Of, right. of, you know, because again, I think it's very important to understand how each service runs, yep. right? And an example could be like you know I've I've owned for example Experience Co. Um, that's one of the worst performing stocks actually on Extreme Opportunities, and I you mm-hmm. know I, I still hold the stock, and it's probably I'm down probably eighty percent or something like that. Um, just by seeing that I own it does not mean that it's the best EO stock to own today. Right, right, right. And that's that's an important distinction to have. There are uh, several multi-baggers on EO which I don't own. Uh, yep, that doesn't mean yep. that they were not good stocks to right, own. Right, right, yeah, exactly. right. And And um, yeah. So, and there might be stocks that I own which are actually not. There's there are a couple of stocks that I mm-hmm. own which are um, pre-EO days. Yeah. Again, I would, I would say that people shouldn't think that they are future EORX and therefore they're going to buy them. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I think, without knowing proportions and what we own, it's really hard to make that, you know, uh, make that connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something, again, to, to bear in mind.
1: Yep, I think, a, I think it's a really good point. So yes, absolutely, hold us accountable. Um, but for what it's worth, we we, we probably um, spend more time and effort on, on our on our mem- services uh, and our service uh, uh, scorecards. The difference is, I think, too, mate, for what it's worth, and this, this is me doing a bit of an ad, but not really, um, every one of our recommendations ever is available on our scorecards, right? So we are so we are completely transparent, completely accountable for every recommendation ever. Um, unlike someone who might say, hey, here's my top five stocks, you should buy these five, or here's the stocks that have gone well in the last 12 months or anything else. We literally, we can't reset our portfolios. We can't, you know, we can't, we, we don't just record just the last 12 months or just our top picks like some people do. We literally say, here's the full, here's the full thing, warts and all, here's the full scorecard. Um, so there's actually no incentive for us to do one or the other, Um we're kind of, you know, we're tired with the brush regardless. And so, um, again, to Doc's point, the service returns, I think, unusually in in our industry, far more useful uh, from that perspective than otherwise. All right, let's move on to a question from Mitch. But first.
0: Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash
1: triple M. All right, Mitch, ask a question for us. Doc, he hi, oh, Scott. Doc, cheers for the podcast. Really enjoying it. I listened to your podcast last week regarding TPG and it potentially being a sell at the moment. I wanted to get your thoughts on Washington Soul Pats at the moment. Soul owns over 20% of TPG. Are you still a big fan of Soul Pats, Scott? Thanks again for putting the podcast together. Really great content. Keep up the great work. Thank you for the great question, Mitch. That's a really, really good question. How can we say that we're not big fans of TPG, and yet we have a buy on Sol Pats. I can answer that for myself, but do you want to go?
2: Well, I, you know what? I thought when I was reading reading this question, well, while, while you were reading this question, I thought, <laughs> finally there's a question that I can say, this is not one that I'm going to
1: answer. I can't make you answer it anyway?
2: Well, because, you know... <laughs> Neither TPG was a recommendation in EO True. or any of the other services I run True. and SoulPath hasn't made it to one
1: of our services. Weren't so you working with me on ShareAdvisor any point when TPG was a live recommendation? Can yeah, I, yeah, it was. There it you was. go. See, I can it make was. you, can make well, you comment th- on by
2: that. But at that time, <laughs> <laughs> since then you guys have sold it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm passing on this. You can answer it. Oh, it's a great question fair though. Fair
1: enough. It is a really good question. So here's the thing. I, so I'll actually make the question worse, Mitch, for myself by saying I also don't love the fact that SoulPath has a big stakeholding in uh, New Hope College, by the way, and and look, I, I have a have a view on climate change. It's actually not related to that necessarily, other than the kind of the economic outputs of that, which is, can you hope really recognize full value for its reserves in a world where governments take action on climate change, regardless of whether or not you believe the science, and I do. Uh, but regardless of that, if the government simply decide to make a, a change to the way coal can be extracted, sold, and used, um, that could change Solpat's business model, and uh, sorry, New Hope's business model, and therefore Solpat's value. So I'll make it even harder for myself by adding that in uh, before I answer your question. So my thoughts on TPG are this: I don't. I think I would sell it because I don't expect it to be market beating from here. That's different from saying I think it's horribly overvalued. And if I wasn't clear enough about that last time, I'll apologise. Um, just to just to be just to be clear about how that impacts, because the the reality of. Uh, any shareholding. I mean, I don't necessarily love every part of every business that I own, or every you know every company that I own. There are businesses or, or operations that are not doing quite so well for, for some of those companies. Um, bottom line: to go work backwards. Yes, I'm still a fan of Salt Pat's. Yes, it's still a buy for me. Yes, I still expect it to beat the market over the long term. So that that gets that out of the way. The why TPG I think is probably look, it's probably a hole right now. I think the value is probably fairish. Um, but that, you know, for me, I, I wouldn't bother holding. I probably just sell it because it's, you know, there's, there's better opportunities elsewhere. So I'm not rushing to get away with it. I don't think it's overvalued by you know phenomenal amounts, and it's clearly going to crash or anything like that. I just don't think it's worth owning in a portfolio. Now, Solpat's, by the way, might be right. I might be wrong. So that's the first thing. And with New Hope Coal, our boss Bruce said to me when I very first recommended New Hope way back, oh sorry, Pats way back in the day. He said, I don't think you're I don't think you're a fan of miners. Why you know why are you happy with Pats with this New Hope holding? And the answer kind of was, you know what? I don't claim to know coal as well as the New Hope or the Salt Pats guys. Robert Milner is the chair of New Hope Coal. They know that business pretty well. Um, they are the lowest cost provider. I think they're the best coal miner in the country for what it's worth. Um, but I don't have a view, strong view on that. I'm happy to, track to, to let the Milners make that decision. They almost sold it at a high price going back about 10 years or so ago. I expect at some point they may still do that if they get offered a good enough price. Alternatively, they might buy more assets at a cheap enough price if they're offered it from somebody else. So I don't love tpg as a market beating investment i don't love new hope collars as a market beating investment that being said new hope has been so smashed off by the market it may well do well from here just on on the basis of simply you know recovering uh, from from what i think is an overly pessimistic share price Overall, I'm backing the Solpats management. I'm backing the Solpats portfolio. Um, I wouldn't necessarily build it the same way. By the same token, Robert Miller and the team there have got a, as Doc already mentioned, uh, a decade and a half at least of market-beating performance. I'm happy to let them do that and, and trust they're doing the right things. This is one where I'm backing the manager rather than necessarily backing the component parts. I know you're not a fan doc, or you know you know you don't have a particular view. But do you have a any any thoughts on my reasoning? Am I talking rubbish? Am No no. I think, I, Am I, I, close?
2: I, I think that's that's exactly what I would have said. But you know, like I don't have a view on TPG as such, and I, I, I really actually like um Soulpat. I think they're a good company.
1: Value stocks, market stock market index share market.
0: This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au
0: forward slash triple m.
1: Hey, question from Daniel. Daniel says, I'm tweaking my portfolio and I'm thinking of dropping my Berkshire Hathaway. What? B shares for Brookfield Asset Management. Do you think this is a safe bet to make for someone who wants to maintain a low beta growth portfolio? Now, Doc, there's a lot in that. Now, firstly, Daniel didn't say anything nice about the podcast. Now. And in Daniel's defence, he did actually ask me this on Twitter, not knowing we had a podcast. I said, "Hey, <laughs> I appreciate you asking me the question. We'll answer on the podcast. So maybe hopefully we'll get another listener out of it." Mm. That was my that was my secret plan, not so secret. Um, so I'll, I'll excuse Daniel just this once for not saying anything wonderful about the podcast. But Daniel, you're on you're on notice, mate. Don't try it again. Um, so I'm going to start at the bottom of the question, mate. I'm going to start about your, your thoughts on the concept of a low beta growth portfolio.
2: Um. <laughs> What is a low beta portfolio again? This is the one, the low volatility portfolio. Yeah, that's is. right.
1: So, low, right? in the in the in the yeah. jargony world of, of investing, which we generally hate, beta is is the so beta is the is the market result, right? And alpha is the amount by which a portfolio beats the market. So, rather than just saying that, they say, well, beta. So this year, if the market's up twenty percent, the beta is twenty percent, and if you if your is up five percent, then you've added five points of alpha.
2: That's alpha. Yeah, I get alpha. What is beta
1: now? It's the it's the, the market return. So alpha okay. is the amount above the market. So uh, okay. beta is the market. Alpha is whatever you add to right. the market return. Okay. Which yeah, you can just say that, right? It's so much easier. Thank okay. you.
2: So basically, <laughs> the, so the assumption is the market returns are going to be low.
1: Well, he's- he, low he, beta he, would, would mean yeah. That. That's but it, then he says low beta growth portfolio. Right. This is my kind of. I'm not I'm not sure the two are necessarily aligned. Was my was my thinking when I asked you the question? Can you really have a low beta growth portfolio? Isn't that almost to some degree an oxymoron
2: so um, okay i did a google search actually this is a google search for a change hi hey, hey,
1: welcome forgot, back cuz i, the and high quality. Uh, I
2: forgotten the change i have forgotten change it says and google has picked the answers of blame google a beta value of less than 1 means the security is theoretically less volatile than the market so low beta means less volatile than the market would be right uh, is what it means okay. and so basically you want a portfolio that's going to be growth <laughs> yes. but Less Volatile than the market, can which you is a that? bit of a it's very hard to do, yeah. Um, so here, uh, you know, can it be done? I don't know. Um, personally, I can give a personal view. My personal view is that I really don't worry that much about volatility. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say, I do yeah. worry about it, but I don't try to invest mm-hmm. with thinking what the volatility is going to do. Okay, what I try to do is I try to think about. What my potential returns are going to be, taking a longish view, uh, thinking of the potential, right. thinking about you know the addressable market, right. and thinking about where a company can go, and and I just I just uh, you know I realize that there's going to be ups and downs along the way, mm. and I just hope and and sometimes pray that I'll be able to uh, manage that volatility. <laughs> so I'm not trying to manage for short-term share price movements. Um, I've got to
1: think, mate. I I still. Just outright reckon that a low beta portfolio that beats the market is almost—it's almost—it's the, the pipe dream that some fancy stockbroker would try and sell you, right? Because the chance that you know—if you're going to beat the market, you got to do something different to the market. The chance you can do it with a low-volatility portfolio, like volatility is what gives you the edge, right? I, I mean, it's not, I'm not—I'm saying it's impossible. I'm sure there are ways of back-testing something where you could pick certain stocks that just slowly went up all the time and were never volatile and beat the market. I reckon the chance that are really really small though, right? Like it just it strikes me that the the objective that Daniel has, while while valid as a, as an idea, I, I I can't help but feel like you kind of it's it's it feels like something that would be a, a waste of time to try because I just don't know that it's possible, at least not reasonably possible in a, in a repeatable way.
2: Yeah, like, I, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, so it? I don't know much. So I think he's talking about moving from uh, stuff from Berkshire to BAM. Uh, BAM. Now, I don't know much about BAM, but I know some so people. BAM is Brookfield as yeah, that like, management. You know, that's the short form for, I know, that, I know what it is, but right. I don't know much about the company. I know a few people who I respect who swear by BAM. Okay Okay, uh, but that's about how much I know about BAM. <laughs> and I've never had uh, the time or inclination to actually go and right. it's a huge asset management company. Yep. Uh, they own actually Luna Park, for example.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, the Bam,
2: BAM owns stuff that you would not imagine <laughs> that they own, but they own, right? Uh, I know because I know somebody who works at BAM who took me to Luna Park and said, This is going to be free because we own it. I said, ah, Really? So I said, I, don't really know. I work for Brookfield. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a Canadian company. That's the other thing yep. I know. And it has done remarkably well over the past, uh, what, since 2005 or something yep. in terms of returns. Uh, it's up like five or six X or something like that. I mean, that's. That's great returns, but was it remarkable or not is another question. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the question is, can BAM deliver low beta growth? Maybe BAM guys know what they're doing and they can't. I don't have a view. I know mm-hmm. that people swear by BAM. Some mm-hmm. people swear by BAM, but yeah, I can't really answer a specific question about. I'm going
1: to say, mate. I, I'm looking at the, like I don't know Brookfield well at all. It's almost doubled in share price in five years. Not quite close enough. It's only a P of fifteen. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like the the most egregiously valued business. I mean, without knowing the the, the quality of the assets or the price of the assets, it doesn't seem un- egregiously, uh, you know, highly yeah. valued.
2: Yeah, which is part has been maybe part of the thesis for some people is right. that it's not egregiously valued. It's a really well run asset management company. It's under the radar. Like you know, a lot of people you know know of the name, but they don't really know what it's doing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> look, myself included. Right, I've been told by some people, oh, you should look at BAM. You should look at BAM. And I, you know, and I have not, <laughs> yeah. because you know, there's so many things look at. Uh, BAM is the last thing on my mind. Right, uh, right, But right. yeah, it could be one of those things where, you know- It's like
1: your sort of stock, this, to be fair.
2: Yeah. So it's not not my sort of thing, but yeah.
1: Um, so so I'll, I'll give a quick summary. This is from fool.com, our, our US site. From a big picture perspective, Brookfield has been launching limited partnerships that focus on key niches in the infrastructure space. The company invests in these partnerships to help them get up and running and acts as the general partner, effectively running the show and collecting fees for doing so. Feels a little bit to me like the old Macquarie Bank, the old satellite funds business where it kind of... Macquarie Airports, Macquarie Roads, Macquarie whatever else it was. I mean, there was, there was plenty of these. Uh, Brookfield apparently uh, is involved in Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, Brookfield Renewable Partners, Brookfield Property Partners and Brookfield Business Partners. So there's, there's a theme in terms of the um, the naming, if nothing, yeah. if nothing else. So no view, is that is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, I don't have a view on... Like, I mean, you know, this is again... Yeah, this, this is a harder company to understand. Yeah. Given that they do a bunch of different things, um, asset management companies in general are difficult. Um, yeah, so I have really no view, unfortunately. Uh,
1: yeah. I have no view either. I, I, I'm, I'm loath to give a view because I uh, here's here's what I'll say generally. Please, please don't take this as a recommendation for the stocks. I don't know any the stock at all. It's a US listed Canadian based business. I don't know the stock at all. Please don't do anything with it um, as a result of this comment. Generally speaking, you want to be the general partner rather than limited partner. So you want to be the guy collect, running the fund and collecting the fees. Brookville are doing that. They seem to be doing it reasonably well. And if you're doing it on your terms, and frankly, without putting a lot of um, a lot of hard assets in, it can be a reasonably capital-like business model, right? I mean, that's what I liked about the old Macquarie model. And it kind of fell over because the asset values fell, and that's always the risk here, right, is at the end of a 10-year bull market when asset prices are, I wouldn't say inflated, but certainly been going up for a long time, it may well be in hindsight this is the best this is the best it gets, right? You think about a long-term bull market where asset prices go up in a low interest rate environment. It's almost the perfect storm for, for, for Brookfield. That being said, that might also mean this might be, if not as good, because I'm not predicting a top, they would be silly share price-wise. But it might be about as good as it gets, or at least towards the end of that end of the spectrum, right? If you think about the way that goes, so I don't know it at all. Um, uh, fair to say, its the last five years' performance has been much better than Berkshire Hathaway. So if if that's your if that's your approach, then that makes sense. I will repeat something you said at the beginning of this podcast, the last one, Doc. I can't remember which. That you know, again, as we as the legal eagles say, past performance is no guarantee of future returns, and so. You know, is again, is this the is this the inflection point where where Brookfield flattens out and Berkshire turns up, or is it another five years of outperformance? That's an open question. I don't think I don't my thought mate is they don't feel like proxies for each other. I mean, they are both large, slower growing businesses with reasonably conservative old school businesses. So in that case, that's kind of the similarities. But Berkshire and Brookfield don't exactly feel like it's not like you'd flip between Commonwealth Bank and NAB or between Woolies and Coles, right? They're not, they're not so similar as to be obvious replacements for the other.
0: Yeah, I think
2: so. Because, I mean, I think Berkshire has operating businesses as well that it controls and a range of operating businesses from energy to insurance to, um, yeah, like, you know, parts businesses and things like that, right? Right. Shoes. I think they have some shoe business as well. (laughs) Candies. So, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think think they are uh, the same thing. And then, you know, I mean, from an asset point of view, uh, berkshire has got investments these guys but they investment a lot of Berkshire's investments are in 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 companies they have stakes in companies whereas right. these guys are actually buying potentially real assets or uh, or buying into listed listed investment companies yeah, yeah, that yeah. own those assets yeah. um so i don't know again without knowing much about Mm. Brookfield, it's really hard to make even a comparison Um, so I'm just going to take a pass on it unfortunately for Daniel, that's not a very. I know it's not a very satisfactory answer, mm-hmm. but that's the best answer I can do.
1: Mate, you know what's satisfactory is actually telling the truth rather right? than making stuff up, like some other people do because they feel like they they should know because they've been asked, and so we you know people can be tempted to make up stuff. I completely agree. Uh, for what it's worth, I own and we have a positive buy recommendation on Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, I would be selling the shares in, in a hurry personally. Also, there's obviously, always tax and other things to consider. Um, uh, Brookfield seems like a perfectly good business. I would just be a little bit careful of. of it's leverage to asset pricing again. Have a look at Macquarie during the GFC and after that, it had to do a whole lot of shuffling around of its assets. It was never in trouble of going broke, but um, basically the Macquarie model died coming out of the GFC. Um, it's gone on to, to do very well since, or, or quite nicely since. But um, I just be I just be mindful of the prices and the returns and how how repeatable or how extrapolatable, which is not a word. But um, you know, can, can you really expect this the sort of returns to go on forever? as the economy and interest rates change maybe maybe not uh, just be a little bit careful how much you're paying and whether or not you're buying a multiple of, of peak-ish earnings how's that for a summary that sounds good to me mate guess what it's time for Christmas Woo-hoo, we're done. Do it. so Fools we want to wish you and your families, your loved ones, your friends, a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for spending this year with us. Uh, we will be back actually, one more podcast before the end of the year but in the meantime we hope you have a wonderful day with family and friends. For those of you who are working, we really do appreciate you working on and through the holiday period. We have doctors and nurses, fireys and coppers and ambos and road workers and a whole lot of people who don't get to enjoy uh, Christmas off with their families as the rest of us do. So we really do appreciate and, uh, and thank you for the hard work you do on our behalf in those times when the rest of us think and talk about public holidays and you might grumble and say, well, it's all right for you lot. We've got to still work, but we wanted to record our appreciation and say, thank you for doing that. Also for those who aren't necessarily spending great times with, with family and friends for some. This will be a, a sadder time than others over Christmas as they remember or we'll think about people they're no longer spending time with and we do also want to just uh, recognize that and, and hope that this Christmas period isn't too tough for you, that you do find some family and friends to spend some time with. Um, if worse comes to worse, you can always listen to some back episodes of Motley Fool Money. <laughs> I'm not sure that'll make you feel better or worse, but it might keep you company during during the holiday period. So whoever you are, wherever you are, and whoever you're spending Christmas with, we hope it's a merry one and we look forward to chatting with you after Christmas. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. If you do have a question or comment, please let us know on the socials. I will drop those in because hey, if you're having a break, you're sitting back after maybe a, a foolish Christmas lunch, and you're uh, thinking, you know what, I really should do now. This is after, after a couple <laughs> after a couple of beers or red wines. You know, what I should do. I should email those guys from the Motley Fool. I've got a question for them. I've been meaning to ask. And if that is you, if you're uh, if you're if you're enjoying, just keep the keep the language down and be a bit reasonable. But uh, in the meantime, do hit us up on any of the socials. Um, I can't help myself. I'll be on the socials right through the break because that's just what I do. Uh, hit me up at T. TMF Scott P on Twitter, at Anirban Mahanti, if you're after Doc, or at the Motley Fool AU. there are our Twitter handles. On Instagram, the same handles for the Motley Fool and myself, TMF Scott P and at the Motley Fool AU. Uh, On Facebook, you can get us at the Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. And of course, as I've said before, if you want to email us, feel free to do that as well. If you've got a very long and complicated question, don't email us. No, I'm kidding. Uh, if you've got if you want to put an email instead because you simply prefer to use that medium, uh, a real computer for a change rather than rather than typing on your phone, info at full.com.au is the way you can get in touch. That's it, Doc. You're done. We're done. Ho ho ho. Ho ho ho. Merry Christmas Merry and thanks Christmas for listening. Full on. Full on.